glad to see everybody today. Y'all sang good today. That's, isn't it nice to be able to come into God's house and, and worship Him and be allowed uh, to do that? If you're visiting with us, we're glad you're here. We invite you back any opportunity that you might have. We uh, are just simple folks here that are trying to be a family, a faith family, to support each other, to work with each other, help each other, and come and worship God and then leave here and tell others about uh where they can see Jesus, and hopefully it will be through us. You know, this time of year, there are a lot of commercials and advertisements on TV and the radio. They're everywhere, really, that offer the opportunity to make yourself into a new you. I've got a question for you. How many times have you started over? You've decided you're going to be more organized. You're going to be more productive. You're going to be more healthy. You just... Find yourself, you're going to say, I start over. I don't know how many planners I've bought because I've decided that I'm going to be more organized. But what I find is that it doesn't take long before I find myself starting over, starting over. Because I do okay for a day or two or a week or two or maybe a month. But then I get back into my bad habits and I don't. You know what's amazing? When you buy a planner and a day timer, you've got to use them. I used to say, if I could just write it in my daytimer, I, I would remember it. And then I'm like, well, you know, I, if I actually would read what I wrote in my daytimer, then uh, maybe I'd do a better job remembering it. Making a new you, making a new us. Uh, I wonder why it is we spend so much time trying to start over. And I've thought a lot about that. I'm 57 years old, so I've started over a bunch. And... I don't know why it is we find ourselves starting over, starting over, but I'm beginning to think it is not necessarily the process, but what if it's the end game? What if it's not the process we use, but what if we are shooting toward the wrong things? What if the new me that I'm trying to create, what if the new you that you are trying to create, what if it's not what God has in mind for us at all? And with that thought in mind, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, we are in the middle of a series going through the book of Philippians. And we've learned a lot that Paul has taught us through this book. But in our text today, Paul tells us about a time when he found a successful way to start over. He found a way to make a new Paul. And I think we can learn from him because the good news is it worked for Paul. The same thing will work for us as well. So if you have your Bibles, if you'll read with me, starting at verse 7 of Philippians chapter 3. But what things were gained to me, those things I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. And be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. That I may know him, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death, if by any means... I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Now, 
We're going to look at three things today. First of all, we're going to look at new math. You know, y'all heard about new math, the, the new uh, things, the new math they teach today. Uh, used to, we would write out two plus two was four. And now with the new math that they have, you get to multiply, divide, and subtract just to get to two plus two equals four. We're going to look at a new math this morning. And then we're going to look at a renovated house, a renovated house flip. Some of y'all have been into renovating houses and flipping houses. We're going to look at that. And then finally, we're going to look at from caterpillar to butterfly. So let's look, first of all, at this idea of new math. Now, in a moment, I'm going to show you how Paul was transformed from Saul to Paul and how his transformation came about. But for right now, notice the radical change that took place in Paul's life as he learned to calculate things different. This is where we get the idea of new math. Paul learned to calculate things different. Verses 7 and 8 are a little section of accountants theology. If you like bookkeeping, if you like uh, accounting work, keep your mind open here. This is kind of interesting. Verse 7 again, But what things were gain or profit to me, those I count loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but done, that I may win Christ. Paul tells us in Philippians 3 here that I do my bookkeeping differently. There are things that used to be profitable for me, but now they are a loss. Remember when we started this chapter, and I said, what if you, for a month, you took all of your money and you deposited every check into a checking account? And then you got some extra work on the side, maybe babysitting or house cleaning or yard mowing or, or whatever. And, and all of your money you put into the bank and you made deposits. And then when you got your bank statement, y'all remember bank statements? We used to have to reconcile those every month to, before the, you could tell you what your balance is all the time now. Bank statements, they come on a piece of paper and you look at it and you think, well, I've got all these deposits. And when you look at your bank statement, you're expecting a lot of money, but you realize that the bank, instead of counting your deposits as assets, they counted them as debits. Instead of depositing that money into your account, that money was subtracted from your account. And that would be an awful thing, wouldn't it? You know, we think you have plenty of money, then you find out not only are you broke, but you, all, you owe all those NSF charges and all that. That would be terrible. But it's even worse spiritually. What if those things we counted as profitable, those things that we counted, the things that were going to get us ahead, we find out that they really aren't credits at all, that they're debits, they count against us. Paul says, there was a time where I thought I had all of this gain, I thought I had all of this profit, but it was actually lost. Paul thought he was a spiritual millionaire. But he found out that he was bankrupt. You say, well, what are you talking about? Look back at verse 5. Paul says, I was circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel. I was a Jew's Jew. He said, I was of the tribe of Benjamin. And by the way, the tribe of Benjamin 
They were considered the aristocracy of the 12 tribes. They kind of walked around a little bit with their nose in the air because they were the tribe that stayed faithful to the Lord when the kingdom divided. A people looked at the Benjamites, those from the tribe of Benjamin, they were the first class Jews. Paul said, I was circumcised the eighth day. I was the tribe of Benjamin. I was the Jews Jew. I was a Hebrew. As touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, I persecuted the church. Touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Paul said, I had all of these things, all of my accomplishments. Paul said, but something happened to me where I realized that those weren't accomplishments at all. Those weren't profits at all. Those weren't assets at all. They were actually debits. Paul says in verse 8, he states it three different ways. He says, first of all, he said, I consider or I count all things for loss. When I thought about all this, I considered it loss. I consider it, it I, I just take a loss on that. And then he goes on to say, for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ my Lord, uh, the second thing he sees, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. First he says, I considered it loss, I counted it loss, I thought it was a loss. Then he says, the more I got to know Jesus, the more I became more like him, I realized it was all loss. And then look how he wraps it up, number three, at the end of verse eight. He says, I count all those things but dung. That's what the King James says. Now, some of our more modern translations take the stink out of the dung and they put trash or refuge. But basically, Paul's saying, all that stuff that I thought I had that was getting me ahead, he said, it's actually just a pile of poop. I thought it was profit. But it's all just, when it's all said and done, it's all worthless. It's all trash. It's all a pile of poo. Here's a fellow who in contemporary terms he had a wonderful home. He had a terrific background, a formalized education that everybody would be jealous of. Have you ever gone driving through an affluent part of town and uh, you see just big houses? And even more so maybe out in the country. You're, you're out in the middle of it's even more effective there. Out in the country you're a you're 50 miles from any big city, and all of a sudden, you come across a house that's on like 100 acres of land, and it's got it's a gazillion square feet. And the first thought that presses that, that I think of is, what did this person do for a living? You know, we're not even close to a big. How do they afford something like that? And but we we appreciate that. You know, we see somebody to me today. Uh, if I were to be walking downtown in Fairview and somebody were to be traveling up Highway 96 in a, a 65 or 66 Mustang convertible, that that's pretty good stuff, you know. I, I would say that I like that. If I could ever have that's my dream car. Now I'm stuck with a Pinto. You young guys, y'all don't remember what Pintos were. Don't, you don't need to know. Don't worry. <laughs> but you know what? Paul said, you talk about family status, I had it. You talk about education, I sat at the feet of Gamaliel. 
I sat at the feet of the most, I learned from the most famous Jewish rabbi in history. Jewish rabbis today say Gamaliel's the greatest rabbi that's ever lived. That was Paul's teacher. Paul was working his way up the ranks to the Sanhedrin, which is the ruling, governing body of the Jews. Paul had it all, and Paul says, when I got to the top of the ladder, I realized the ladder was on the wrong wall. Amen? I realized it was nothing. I realized I was lost. He said, those things that gave me significance, or I thought that they gave me significance, they really didn't give me significance at all. I ask you the question this morning, what gives you significance? I want you to picture yourself this morning at standing before God at his judgment throne. And God says, give an account of your life. How would you plead your case? Oh God, my my father, he was a deacon down at Second Baptist in Fairview. And, and you know my grandmama? Bless her heart, my grandmama, she was the most godly person. She took me to church every Sunday. You know what we just learned from Paul? Paul said, genetically, I had the greatest genes in the whole wide world. But our standing before God is not determined by our genes. Our standing before God is not determined by our biology. Did you know that God would not be at all impressed with a 65 Mustang convertible? When it's all said and done and we stand before God giving an account of our lives, he's not going to be impressed that I had a big house. He's not going to be impressed that I had a master's degree. He's not going to be impressed about my job. That doesn't bring us significance in front of God. Paul says, you know what? I'm just a servant of Christ. That's all I am. And he said, actually, I've lost everything that accounts for anything. He said, used to, when I come into town, they had a room waiting for me at the Hyatt Regency. When I went to the steakhouse, they had a table for me. Now they say, what's happened to Paul? Paul used to be this person, but what in the world has happened to Saul of Tarsus? Paul says, if all of this stuff is credit, he says, I don't have any credits left. All I've got left is loss. Paul said, first I, when I first got into this, I thought it was, might be loss. You know, he said, I kind of thought this may not count for anything. And he said, then the more I learned, I learned that my education and my circumcision and my family and all of that, it didn't gain me anything. As a matter of fact, it's all just a pile of poo. It's worthless. All those things that I thought gave me significance, all those things that I was working toward. See what I said earlier about, I just wonder if the reason we keep starting over is because our goal, our end game is wrong. We're looking to accomplish the new you is not who we're supposed to be. The new you is who the world's telling us we're supposed to be. Do you know what beautiful is? Look at TV, it'll tell you. You can take this and be more beautiful. You can take that and be more beautiful. What's a real man? 
TV will tell you. What's a real woman? Society will tell you. But just like Paul, if you were frustrated and trying to make the new you and you were unhappy, can I encourage you to think about the fact that the new you you're trying to make is not the new you who you're supposed to be. Amen? Especially if you've trusted Jesus as your Savior. We'll talk more about that here in just a minute. I saw on Facebook a guy said he was going to open a business. He's going to call it, name it, Resolutions. He said in January and February it's going to be a gym. He said March through December it's going to be a bar and a restaurant. That's the, way, that's the way we do. You know, January and February, we're all about making ourselves better. And then the whole rest of the year, we're, 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 we're I ain't going to do this anymore. And we're back to uh, doing whatever it was we were going to do. I would lose weight if I didn't like eating so much. You know what I discovered yesterday, by the way? And I, I, I won't charge you anything. It's not even in my notes. I, I won't charge you anything for this. But... We didn't watch TV yesterday. Just for a second, uh, before I went and did got the bulletin printed and all that, uh, Marie's mama was watching Rawhide. So while I was eating a little bit of lunch, I watched Clint Eastwood and a little bit of Rawhide. But I didn't eat. We didn't watch TV. So you know what else I didn't do? I didn't eat potato chips. I didn't eat too much sweets. Because my problem, I say I would like to lose weight, but my trouble is I start watching TV, and you know what I do when I watch TV? You, you get the potato chips and the popcorn and the candy bar and all that kind of stuff. So the point that I'm making is part of the reason why the new you doesn't work is because we don't change the habits of the old you, amen? Or it may be that the new you we're trying to make is not who God wants us to be. Somebody said, well, Paul, why in the world do you feel that way? Look at verses 8. He said, I count it all loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for, who, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung. Why? That I may win Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is under the law, but that which is of faith in Christ. Why, Paul? That I may gain Christ and be found in him. How do I do that? He says, it's not a righteousness of my own. It's not the fact that I've been good. It's not the fact that I've been circumcised. It's not the fact that I come from the tribe of Benjamin. It's not the fact that all of these things I thought we're going to get me in good standing to God. He says, it's none of those things at all. Those, that, those are just a pile of poo. He said, what I learned is true prophet is knowing Jesus Christ. Well, how did you know Jesus Christ? Through faith in him. Paul says, I don't come and gain Christ presenting a righteousness of my own. He said, my own righteousness isn't righteous at all. He said, I come through faith in Jesus Christ. The righteousness that comes from God is through Jesus Christ. 
We call that the doctrine of justification. And that's a big word, and that's a preacher word. And the word justify simply means, or justification simply means to be made right. We stand before God as a sinner. Because you know what? By nature, I'm condemned. By nature, I sin. I sin not because I'm a bad person, but I sin because I'm a sinner. I'm a transgressor. Sometimes, y'all, did y'all know when I park my truck, sometimes I park in the middle of two parking places. I cross that double yellow line or that double line there that you park. I, I mess up. Sometimes when the speed limit is 45, I go 55. That's just my inner, left to myself, the inner workings of my body, and yours are too, they're haywire. They're not, by nature, we are sinners. I stand before God and I plead my case. There's nothing I can plead. Remember, I, I put that, introduced that scene to you a while ago. If you're defending your life in front of God, God says, How did you live your life? Why should I let you into heaven? If you were depending on your own goodness, your 65 Mustang, your education, your house, you're going to fall wanting because in spite of all of that, you sin. And God demands perfection. God demands holiness. The problem is none of us can be perfect and none of us can be holy. I can't, you can't either. That's bad news. Because to get to heaven, we've got to be sinless. But we can't get to heaven. You want to hear some good news? Jesus Christ. Who is God? Jesus Christ came to earth as a human. As a man. He lived a perfect, sinless life. And he was crucified, put on a cross, and he died as a sacrifice for my sin. Now listen to me. We need to understand what it means. Somebody says, I got saved. We need to understand what it means to get saved. Jesus Christ on the cross took my sin. He didn't have any of his own. He took my sin. And he took your sin. And he paid the price in the sight of God. And you know what we get? We should be the ones on the cross. Christ took our sin. And Christ gives us his righteousness. Remember that song we sing? When he shall come with trumpet sound, Oh, may I then in him be found, Dressed in his righteousness alone. You see, when we stand before God, God says, why should I let you into heaven? We can't answer because we were good. The only answer we can say is, I'm justified. I'm wearing Jesus. I, I, I get into heaven because I'm one of your children. 
because I took the righteousness of Jesus. I'm wearing the righteousness of Jesus. Remember back in Exodus, in the ten plagues of Egypt, with the death of the firstborn, and God came to Moses and said that I'm going to kill the firstborn of every living thing in all of Egypt. He said, in order to, and God said, in order to avoid that, you need to take the blood of an animal and paint it on the doorpost and the lintel of the door. He said, then when I see the blood, I will pass over you. Did you know that's symbolic for what Jesus did for us? Back in Exodus, God doesn't say, well, those people in that house, they're pretty good, so I'm, I'm going to skip over that house. It had nothing to do with their lifestyle. It had nothing to do with their pedigree. had nothing to do with what tribe they were from. It had everything to do with whether or not he saw the blood. And when God looks at us as Christians, he sees the blood. And he counts us justified. That's what it says. And that's what Paul means when he says in verse uh, 8, For the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. He says, I count everything done that I might win Christ and be found in him not having my own righteousness, but rather the righteousness that comes from God through faith in Jesus Christ. Justification is a one-time deal. It's a transaction that's made in your heart and it takes the blood of Jesus Christ at, from the cross. The Holy Spirit miraculously baptizes you into the Holy Spirit. It's a miraculous... I can't explain it. Sounds kind of crazy to me. But that's what the Bible teaches. You know why it's so crazy? Because if it's something we could do and explain, it wouldn't be God's amazing grace, would it? Being saved is not a process. There are some churches that talk about the, the process of, of being saved. Or they'll teach that when you die, if you aren't quite good enough, you'll go to purgatory. And purgatory is where it's sort of like, it's kind of like hell for beginners. And you live there long enough till you earn your way to heaven. That's not what scripture teaches. Salvation is a one-time, justification is a one-time thing. Our rightness before God, when we trust Jesus, uh, hear me, when we trust Jesus as our Savior, our salvation is secured at that point. Our tickets are at will call. If we've truly been born again, our tickets are at will call waiting for us. That's justification. Now, it leads to a process. And that process is called sanctification. Look at verse 10. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings be made conformable unto his death. So we looked at the new map. We looked at where Paul said, I used to figure things this way, but now that I've been justified, now that I've been made right, those things that I thought were lost, were gain rather, profit, were actually lost. 
Because I've got Jesus Christ. But Paul says, now since that's happened, something's happened to me. He says, I'm being changed to something. I'm being conformed to something. And that gets us to our house flip. Picture if you were going for a walk in your neighborhood, and, and you're walking with your husband, your wife, your mom, your dad, your roommate, whatever, whoever you walk with. And every day when you walk, you go by a house that is just derelict. It's, it's falling down, the, sh the shutters are sideways, trees and everything are growing up on it. And it's just, you can tell nobody's lived there for years. And all of a sudden you walk by it and you do a double take. You say, wait a minute, something looks different. And, and you ask your companion, is, is something different about that house? And you think, well, you know, I think somebody might be renovating that house. And sure enough, you walk by every day and you see that house transformed in front of your eyes. But you know what happened? Somewhere in a lawyer's office, a transaction took place where ownership changed. And the new owners took that house. And they had in their mind what they wanted that house to look like. And they started renovating that house and making it new. When you and I trust Jesus as our Savior, a transaction takes place where my heart and your heart has a new owner. Look at verse 8 again. Paul says, Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and I do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. Paul said, Things changed for me. These old things no longer held the same significance. Do you know why? Because Saul had a new owner. Jesus Christ took over in the life of Paul and began to renovate Paul's, Saul's life. People around Saul, what happened to Saul? Saul used to be this away, and now he's that away. Saul used to talk like this, now he talks like that. Saul was being transformed. You and I, Andy Plank has a new owner. Andy Plank that's walking around today is different than Andy Plank that was walking around when I was 15 years old. Jesus has been working on me. Now sometimes it's not as fast as it, either he or I would like, amen. But sometimes I stand in his way. But we are, all of us, if you've trusted Jesus as your Savior, we are being transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. See what he says in verse 10? He says, we are being made conformable unto his death. We're going from a caterpillar to a butterfly. Did you know our salvation is not about, just about a transaction that happened in a room somewhere? It's not just about, yes, I, I got saved way back in vacation Bible school and, and that's my, matter of fact, here's the marriage or the, or the baptismal certificate. It's right. See, I've got it roped right there in my Bible. I got saved way back in 1976 in vacation Bible school. 
If your life has not changed, hear me carefully. If your life has not changed from 1976 when you got saved in vacation Bible school to where you sit today, one of two things have happened. Number one, you're truly not saved. Or number two, you have not fully surrendered yourself to the Lord to let the Holy Spirit begin His work in your life. We are not saved to sit on a pew for 30 years. Sing on Sunday, oh how I love Jesus. We drop our dollar in the collection plate and shake hands with the preacher and out the door we go to next Sunday. Then we die and we get to go to heaven. God is in the process of making us new. God is in the process of transforming our life. Now look at verse 11. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Paul is saying, and here's salvation in its third tense, by the way. There are three tenses of salvation. There's a past tense where we, where we are justified and our sins are forgiven. There's a present tense that we're living in now where we're being conformed into Jesus, the image of Jesus Christ. That happens all of our lives. It'll happen until the end of our lives. But there's a moment when Jesus either comes or calls that we are instantly made like him. We are glorified. <clears throat> Paul talks about it here as the resurrection. One of these days, we're going to put off this earthly body. And we're going to get our glorified bodies. And that glorified body is going to look and act and smell like Jesus. The sin part's going to be gone. We're going to be what God is turning us into. And Paul says, I passionately want to know Christ. I want to put on Christ. I want to learn about Christ. And he says, one of these days, somehow... I'm going to attain the resurrection of the dead. Now, is Paul not confident in that? Is, is he questioning it? Is he doubting it? I don't think he is. Here's what Paul is saying. Paul's saying, when I look back on my past, all those things that I've done, and how bad I was, I put Christians to death. I persecuted Christians. I put them in prison. I mocked them. When I look back at everything I've done, knowing Jesus Christ, I just can't believe he's, he's saying how amazing God's grace is. And I tell you what, the older I get, the longer I live in Christ, just more and more I'm flabbergasted with God's grace. God would save me. I tell you what, y'all, I know me better than y'all know me. And I don't deserve salvation. I wanted to bet that you know you better than I know you, and you'd be willing to say you don't deserve salvation either. You know the good news? The bad news is none of us do. The good news is God's grace covers that. Whatever it is you look at in your life and you say, there's no way I can go to heaven with this in my past, God says the blood of Jesus Christ takes care of that. All sin. There is no sin that's bigger than God's grace. There's no sin that can't be covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. 
Now let me conclude with this thought. If we had spoken to Saul of Tarsus in his early days, we would say, Saul, are you going to heaven? And Saul would say, you bet I'm going to heaven. I'm heading straight there. Why do you think you're going to heaven? And he would say, well, let me tell you why I'm going to heaven. I will circumcise the eighth day of the stock of Israel. I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. I'm a Pharisee. I'm blameless. I, I deserve it. But now when you ask Paul, Paul, are you going to heaven? He'd say, yes, I am. He said, it's not because of all that poo I believed earlier either. All that mess I thought was going to get me to heaven. He said, that was keeping me from it. Let me say this to you this morning. If you're waiting on your heritage or the sign on the church sign on the door or your goodness or whatever to get you through the pearly gates, those gates are not going to open. Paul says, I'm going, today if you were to ask Paul right here in Philippians, are you going to heaven, Paul? Yes, I am. And let me tell you why, because I have faith in Jesus Christ. And that's all I need. If you do try to get to heaven on your own profit, you're going to end up bankrupt. What in the world happened to Paul? Two things. Number one, an encounter with Jesus Christ created a new person. That's in Acts chapter 9. Paul's on his way to Damascus to persecute and put Christians in jail, probably have them killed. And on his way to Damascus, he saw the light and he met the Lord. When he met the Lord, the Lord made Saul a new person, Paul. But not only was Paul made a new person, an encounter with Christ gave Paul a new perspective. It gave him an eternal perspective. We're going to talk about that more next week. So I invite you back. We're going to keep on digging. Paul keeps, he, he just keeps, it's like peeling back layers of an onion. We're going to peel back even more next week. That eternal perspective puts everything else into perspective. <laughs> I've said it the last three weeks. I'm going to say it again. You might get tired of hearing it, but guess what? You're going to hear it anyway. Jesus Christ plus anything else brings bankruptcy. Adding anything to Jesus, putting faith in anything besides Jesus, you're going to end up bankrupt. The flip side of that is Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Why do we have to complicate things? Paul says, I, I can't get to heaven with all this stuff in my He said, I thought I was on that right road. But I realized I, I really, all I've got is Jesus. He said, then I found out that that's all I need. What about you? Where are you putting your faith and your trust today? Do me a favor. Do yourself a favor. Don't put your trust and your faith in your church. Don't put your trust and your faith in your goodness. Don't put your trust and your faith in your intelligence. Put your trust and your faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross.
let the Holy Spirit do his work in your heart. Help you be born again. Born again from above and create a new person and start transforming you into Jesus Christ. Maybe you've done that and you've gone off on your own. You know, we humans tend to do that. There's a reason why God calls us sheep, because sheep tend to wander. He didn't call us, he didn't call us owls. He didn't call us the wise animal. He called us sheep, because we tend to wander off. And if you've wandered off from the Lord, that same blood of Jesus Christ that covered you the day you were saved continues to cover you today. John tells us in the book of 1 John, when we confess our sins, the blood of Jesus Christ will cleanse us from all of our sins. There's nothing you've done after you got saved that the blood of Jesus Christ can't cover. Do you need to come back home to Jesus today? Let's pray.